Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. Today is the day we're tackling a big topic, and I don't believe it's ever been explained quite like we're doing in this episode. Josh's analogies are going to shine bright, and you know you love them, as we dive in on the topic of health and nutritional deficiencies. This one is going to be enlightening. We'll be covering what a nutritional deficiency actually is, how we often look at health completely the wrong way, the connection between deficiency and disease, the language of the body when it comes to deficiencies, and how we can ensure we're getting enough of what we need. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on this episode all about deficiencies. I'm Megan Telpner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder here at the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Joining me, as always, is Josh Gatalis, who ensures I am never deficient in laughter. <laughs> Ain't that a fact? It's so cheesy. Hey, who are you? Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. There is a lot we've talked about on this show so far and in our other work about what we need for health. We talk about eating unprocessed foods. We talk about cooking from scratch, nutrient abundance, and all that jazz. I always like to keep it on the side of abundance and not focus on what we're lacking. It's really the same in the greater functional nutrition world when we focus mainly on what the body needs, not necessarily what it's lacking, or how our diet and lifestyle choices could be the source of these deficiencies. All right, Josh, why don't you get us started and explain exactly what a deficiency is? Well, essentially, a deficiency is when the body is lacking in one of our essential nutrients. So there are a variety of nutrients that we must get from the diet. And if we don't get those nutrients, we experience symptoms. We experience, in some situations, disease. It can contribute to a disease or a condition. And our body requires these to run all of the systems throughout. So if we're deficient in a certain nutrient for a long span of time, we start to experience a symptom or a collection of symptoms in the body that could be the result of a single deficiency or multiple different deficiencies until eventually we get that grand, quote, naming of the disease or a diagnosis, and it all could stem from something lacking in our diet or lifestyle. Exactly, Megan. And I think what we need to visualize as we listen to this podcast is understanding that this is all a spectrum. So we're going to talk about nutritional deficiencies and insufficiencies like a spectrum, but also along the same linear line, think about the development of symptoms and then, you know, conditions and then diagnosable diseases along that spectrum as well. And when we go back and look where this all began, because we didn't always have science and microscopes and ways to actually look at these. Or even nutrients. know that there were vitamins and minerals. People just grew food and ate it. Exactly. They used to call these things mysterious substances. You know, the work of Weston A. Price, he knew that there were these elements, but he didn't quite know how to name them yet. Vitamin K is one of those classic examples. But if we go back even further to when, you know, sailors were going across the ocean blue exploring new lands, we saw that they were experiencing 
these symptoms like bleeding gums, wounds wouldn't heal, their teeth would fall out, and their immune systems would just crash. And we discovered that this was scurvy. And scurvy, that what we know now, is a vitamin C deficiency. They would be on these long journeys without fresh fruits, without fresh vegetables, and even some meats that could provide a small amount of vitamin C. And they would suffer this disease, which we named as a vitamin C deficiency, which is scurvy. Now, people don't really get scurvy that much anymore. It definitely happens. But what we understand now is that there are other issues that people can experience when they have low levels of vitamin C, which we'll get to in a moment. One of the challenges we deal with now is that even when you are eating what we would consider a healthy diet of lots of fruits and vegetables, there's now deficiencies in the food supply. So we know about heavily processed foods that will say enriched, meaning that they've had usually synthetic versions of vitamins and minerals added back into a food where they would originally be naturally occurring. But also we're dealing with deficiencies at the root, at the source of our food supply. We're talking about the soil. Right. It's almost like, you know, there's the phrase, you are what you eat. It's almost like you are what you eat, eats. And in this situation, a plant needs to get nutrients from the soil. It needs to essentially eat those nutrients and soak them up into the plant. And then we eat that because I don't know anyone that eats soil for their nutrients. No. And we recently watched a really great documentary that we recommend called Kiss the Ground that educates so well on the difference between soil, which is rich in nutrients, and dirt, which is what we're trying to grow food in now, where that topsoil that's so nutrient-rich that is vital for growing healthy plants and to be naturally pest deterrent has become so depleted from over-harvesting, over-tilling, so much chemicals being used in the food supply now, which means that even if you're eating that optimal diet that's rich in unprocessed plant-based foods with quality sources of protein, no matter what you choose, you could still end up in a state of deficiency. Absolutely. And, and just a little sidebar here too, if the animals that you're eating are not getting the nutrients they need from those plants that they're eating, you can also incur a deficiency that way. And so what we're seeing now out in the world is chronic degenerative health. And for some people, they'll say, I don't know why I'm eating really well, but a really quote, well or healthy diet can also just not be enough. And the key when we think about deficiencies is that it's not just about preventing disease, meaning having just enough to support health or not develop symptoms, but we want to look at how we promote health, which is a state of abundance. Right. So health isn't just the absence of disease, but it's the absolute presence of mind, body, and spiritual well-being, which is actually very similar to the World Health Organization definition. Health is not passive. And I think that's something we have to remember, that health takes work. And we've talked about this in our episode on how we make healthy living effortless, this idea that it's easier to fall downstream. Following the paradigms, following conventional ways of eating, following conventional ways of living takes us down a path of disease and deficiency. And so in order to have health, we have to make active decisions all the time with every meal, with our activity level, with the conversations we have. It's all part of building that health and having an abundance, not a deficiency. 
The analogy that I love to use when it comes to health is thinking about your body as a vehicle, as a car, right? You get one car, you're born, someone says, hey, you got to take care of this car until the day you die. And how are you going to treat that vehicle? Well, you're not going to wait until that engine completely blows out, till the oil's so dirty that you can't operate the vehicle anymore. You're going to look for little signs that it's moving in the wrong direction. You're going to put a little bit more air in the tire. You're going to fill up the gas tank. You're going to change the oil before it becomes a problem. So first looking at the frank deficiency side of things, where we got into this whole idea of deficiencies, was I already gave the example of vitamin C. And just to comment on that, on how we're guided, is that we're given a recommended dietary allowance, right, by our governing bodies on how much you need to consume to prevent that disease from happening, like scurvy. I already gave the example of vitamin C, and just to illustrate a couple other frank deficiency issues, is we know that the number one cause of intellectual disability worldwide is an iodine deficiency. We know that many people live inland. They don't get exposure to the iodine from the ocean. The crops don't get that exposure. And we also know that there have been epidemics of goiters and thyroid issues with iodine deficiency. We also know that the number one cause of blindness worldwide is a vitamin A deficiency, which is hard to get for certain people around the world. And there's also other diseases like beriberi, kwashiorkor, rickets, which we know are tied to specific nutrients. So all of those are diseases of very specific, rather dramatic deficiencies. How's your green thumb? I'm really good with house plants. You're really good with outdoor plants, but uh, we're starting to trade roles we're here. We're trading roles. I'm now the, I, I have turned my brown thumb green. And something that we notice on plants, if you have any, is that whether it's a house plant or a vegetable or fruit plant in your garden, you know something is wrong with that plant when you start to see usually something wrong with the leaves. And that is a symptom of a deficiency. That's There's something wrong with that plant. Now, there's two ways you can address these deficiencies. You can pluck off the leaves that look sick, but what's probably going to happen is that more and more leaves are going to start developing this disease or showing those symptoms, those spots. Could you call that, Megan, a plant mutation? Plant mutation. All I want to focus on right now is how epic this analogy is that I came up with by myself. <laughs> I learned from the master. Run so, with it. So you can pluck off those leaves it's going to just keep developing more and more diseased leaves. Same within the garden. If you're growing a tomato, and well, usually it's multiple tomatoes on a plant, and those leaves start to show signs of sickness, if you don't deal with the root cause of whatever is causing those leaves to develop those symptoms, that plant is not going to bear fruit. It will die more quickly. And the exact same thing is true of the human body. We see little signs and symptoms, and we can mask them, or we can address the root cause. But if we choose to just mask them, those deficiencies are going to get deeper and deeper. They could have effects on the, quote, plants around them. How good is this one? And then other systems of the body start to be effective. Other symptoms start to show up. And so the key here is to address those deficiencies at the root. Symptoms, Megan, I love that word. And just as you describe the symptoms with the plant, the body does the same thing. Our body speaks the language of symptom. I'm speaking English, you should understand me, but the body tells us what's missing or sometimes what's excess by giving 
us messages through symptoms. So you talked about deficiencies like blindness, quashiorker, scurvy. Those are all extreme end-state diseases of deficiencies. Do you want to talk about a, a few of the sort of com- more common everyday symptoms we might see from more mild deficiencies? Well, this is where it gets really interesting because a lot of these things are not diagnosable. Like someone might go to their doctor and they'll complain of some of these symptoms and the doctor will not really be able to give it a name and therefore there's no treatment for it. We call that subclinical. Exactly, yeah. And the other factor about symptoms and symptomatology, the study of these symptoms, is it is one of my greatest tools in the clinic. I learned it as a key tool to gather information about my clients. And it's something that I teach my students as well to become experts in. It's one of our greatest tools. So what can these tell us? Well, let me give you a few examples. When people experience cracks in the corners of their mouth, this can be an indication of a B2 or B6 deficiency or both. What about those little white spots that develop on the fingernails? What are those, Josh? That tends to be related to a zinc deficiency. Broken blood vessels, varicose veins, hemorrhoids could be related to vitamin C and bioflavonoid deficiencies. Now, just to help people understand why there's this connection, the vitamin C is critical for connective tissue. It activates lysine and proline into hydroxylysine and hydroxyproline to make collagen, and collagen is critical for connective tissue. In nature, vitamin C occurs with a group of phytonutrients called bioflavonoids like rutin and quercetin and asperidin, and these help to stabilize our cell membranes. So when those become weak and rupture, we have broken blood vessels, varicose veins, hemorrhoids, those types of symptoms. What's interesting too is that under times of stress, we tend to burn through, so to speak, our vitamin C and our bioflavonoids because they are protective mechanisms in the body. So under stress, we need to take more of these to help prevent all the other things that you mentioned. Well, precisely, Megan, our body's always working on a triage. So the integrity of our blood vessels is way lower down on the totem pole than keeping the heart pumping, than detoxification, than keeping the kidneys working. So we know that I've been working out like mad these days. I'm I'm (laughs) ripped. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for my mental, mental health and physical agility. But if I were working out a lot, that's a stress on the body that might require more vitamin C. But if I'm having trouble recovering, let's say, what's that a deficiency in? Well, I see this a lot. Low protein can really have a big impact on recovering muscles, right? Our muscles are made out of protein. They need those amino acids. And there's certain disciplines out there that say, hey, you can be okay on much lower protein. But when I see my clients not recovering and complaining of these issues of protein deficiency, it's a red flag. And we try to address that by repleting that deficiency. What's really interesting is that the way our minds go in in North America largely is that we think of these deficiencies needing a single, very specific solution. So lots of people want to know, okay, well, I'm doing this, so what vitamin do I need here? Or I'm showing this symptom, what vitamin do I need here? And what we do in culinary nutrition is look at how we create a total balanced health that has abundance of these nutrients because there's a redundancy in nature and there's a redundancy in food. So if you keep that diet varied, you're typically going to err on the side of sufficiency. You'll be getting enough of what you need, assuming that the food itself has those nutrients available. 
Definitely. And I, I think we've spoken about this before in relation to herbal medicine and how there's different herbal disciplines all over the world, depending yeah. on what's available in their environment. Well, it's the same thing with food, right? We are able to live all over the planet, which is just incredible. And the reason why we can do that is because these nutrients are available everywhere. They're ubiquitous. Now, there's a few slight exceptions, and we've learned our lessons over the years when we're not exposed to this nutrient, like iodine insufficiency and living inland away from the oceans. But for the most part, we can access every nutrient we need all over the globe. When we have a variety of foods in our diet and many different nutrient sources coming in, we have a much lower chance of reaching a level of deficiency. We talk about this in our True Superfoods episode, being that the best superfoods to eat are the ones growing in your so-called backyard or the closest to your home. Which will also have way more nutrients because they're not traveling far. There you go. We're, we're tying a sweet little bow on this one, I think. In culinary nutrition, what I teach, and Josh joins me for several classes, is this idea of how we can prepare our food for both maximum nutrition. So how do we get the most power in every bite? And also, Josh, are you listening? Sure am. Maximum deliciousness, beauty, and enjoyment. Do you agree with that? Can I get that in, in voice as a commitment? Sort of. Josh and I are constantly <laughs> battling it out because I want everything first and foremost to be delicious and then nutritious. And sometimes Josh goes the other way. Right. Like sometimes I'll make a elixir or drink or smoothie and I'll hand it over to Megan and I'll say, taste this. It's delicious. And you won't even believe what's in it. And Megan will taste it and give me the look, severe look of disapproval. Like I actually can't believe what he put in it. And he has the unique ability to ruin almost any medicinal tea we make by throwing astragalus in it. Well, I've learned my lesson on that one for sure. You can't make that delicious. Yeah, it's a strong herb. So delicious first, nutritious second, but it's a vital combination for getting that nutrition in. And towards the end of the episode, I'm going to share some of my favorite ways to sneak in some extra abundance of nutrition. Let's take a pause here and shift gears for a moment for culinary nutrition inspiration from a 2018 graduate of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, Gita Sakuja. Gita joined the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program back in 2018 while also working full-time as an account executive at a business-to-business -business marketing agency. Though she wasn't 100% sure what she'd end up doing when she graduated, she knew that she was in the right place. Here's Gita to share more about the incredible work she's doing in culinary nutrition. Hi, my name is Geeta Sakuja, and I graduated from the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program in 2018. I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I teach virtual Indian cooking masterclasses where students learn how to make healthy Indian recipes from scratch using gluten and dairy-free ingredients while maintaining the authentic Indian flavors I grew up with. My classes show students how to avoid processed oils, sugars, irradiated spices, heavy creams, and other poor quality ingredients when preparing Indian dishes. They enjoy learning all the traditional Indian cooking techniques I've mastered over the last 10 years and appreciate that I combine my culinary nutrition expertise with my knowledge about spices and Indian cuisine to create informative courses packed with practical cooking skills. The culinary nutrition program also enabled me to apply what I learned from it to my own healing, and I would recommend it as a great investment for anyone who wants to take their health, their business, or themselves to the next level. 
I want to send my deepest gratitude to Megan, Josh, and her team for creating this vibrant community, and I'm looking forward to learning from them for many years to come. Now, something Gita didn't mention is that many of her students who are doing her Indian cooking classes are also fellow culinary nutrition expert alumni. It is so incredible to see how supportive this community is of each other and how our graduates are so ready to welcome in and try out each other's business ventures and continue their learning together. Whenever Gita posts about a new class in our group, they sell out so fast and the praise pours in. Fellow grad Millie Stevens said, everyone take this class, it's phenomenal. And Jess Sedman commented afterwards, thanks for the wonderful class today, Gita. It was super informative and the food was amazing. Looking forward to the next one. Now head over to our blog at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Click on this episode and you can check out a full profile on Gita and get on her list to learn more about her next classes. Now let's return to our conversation. Now, a lot of these nutrients can be picked up in testing, right? So let's just look at a couple conventional tests that we look at related to nutrients, like serum ferritin related to iron. So that's a blood test. Yes, this would be a blood test to measure some of these things. So serum ferritin is a storage form of iron, and it tells us what our iron levels are in the body. When I look at labs on this, the range is massive, right? Some labs have their range of like 10 to like 200. And I look at that. I mean, I looked at that years ago and I thought, well, if someone's a 10 or 200, their primary care physician is just going to say, oh, you're within the range. That's okay. But where do you actually want to be? Do you want to be in the middle? Do you want to be closer to the top? So this is the difference between what we call the normal range and an optimal range. And when you're close to the edges, you're closer to incurring either a deficiency that's going to cause symptoms or an excess that's also going to cause symptoms. Because, you know, continuing on our example, you, you don't want too much iron because then you run the risk of getting excess oxidative stress in your body. But you also need enough iron because iron is important for hemoglobin and getting oxygen around the body. In regular words, blood. It's important for healthy blood. It's important for healthy blood. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. So we need to be aware that even some testing can tell us where we are on that spectrum, right? We, we started out this way discussing how there's this spectrum. And as you move along that spectrum or what I call down the slope of health, things can get worse and worse and worse, eventually to a point where we have a diagnosable illness. Everyone often asks about vitamin D, especially because it's getting so much news attention, and they want to know how much to take. But you just discussed this range. So when we get blood work done, we fall within a range. And to get into the optimal range, you also need to get a baseline. You need to know where you're at. So some testing is really helpful to get you started, but always make sure that you, person listening, gets a copy of it. And you can look this up and find out what the test means and where you'd want to be in that optimal range just to get yourself started as a baseline. It's always great to seek out professional guidance for sure because people are trained in this, people like Josh. But uh, it's hard to know how to supplement to get that therapeutic benefit to get you into the optimal range. So Josh, how do you balance when you work with people between needing a supplement and needing to do it or being able to do it just with food? Right. Well, a lot of people come to me because they have certain symptoms. Mm -hmm. So through our symptomatology assessment, it helps us to narrow down and zero in on possible 
nutrient deficiencies or insufficiencies. When I say insufficiency, I mean, you know, it's not quite a frank deficiency. We're not quite at like the really, you know, red zone point of things. You're just low or high as the case may be, depending on the test. Yeah. So my interventions consist of diet, like a foundational diet, and then supplements on top of that, if needed, and therapeutic foods as well. So let me give you an example. If someone was deficient in selenium, we always want to start with food first, right? So there's a whole bunch of wonderful foods that are high in selenium. But if we hone in on a specific therapeutic food, we see that Brazil nuts actually have a therapeutic dose of selenium. So let's focus on those. Make sure you eat a few of those every single day. But on top of that, if we need someone to get their selenium levels up way quicker, we get them on a supplement. Right. And we get closer to a therapeutic dosage for a period of time to get those stores up in the body. And then we can back off and just work with diet and therapeutic foods. And, you know, relating this back to our example with vitamin C and scurvy, you know, if a sailor came off the boat and they had a deficiency, there's a few ways to approach us. One, we could do it only with food, right? So just load them up on high vitamin C foods, some red peppers and oranges and lemons for a while. That's going to work, but it's going to take a while. But we can stack on top of that vitamin C supplements, and that's going to speed it up even more. So that's what supplements are. They're literally supplements to the diet, and we've spoken about this in detail in the past. One of my favorite ways to get high concentrations of nutrients into the body from the food source is through juices and smoothies. In the Culinary Nutrition Expert program, there's a whole module on juices and smoothies. And, and in that module, I like I think with every single thing I make, I'm overly excited because I love fresh juices and I love smoothies. And what's really cool about juicing is that you're getting this concentration of loads of nutrition in a highly digestible form, more than you could ever really eat. So it's almost that bridge between a whole food and a supplement because you could juice a head of kale, you could juice 10 carrots, you could juice broccoli stems, you can put all of that into a juice, which is more than you would ever eat in one time. And so you get that super dose of nutrition. And same with smoothies. If you took everything you put into a smoothie and had to actually eat and chew it, you could be there all day. But being able to put all this lettuce in and all these different things that blend up can be consumed, though it's good to still sort of chew your smoothies for all the stuff we talk about, well, we will be talking about in our upcoming digestion episode. But you want to make sure that you are still digesting these, but it's a way to get loads of nutrition in it. And you could even combine in your smoothies, whole foods and supplements like a protein powder, which is considered a supplement, like mushroom extracts, which are really great for modulating the immune system. You could even drop your vitamin D in to your smoothie or consider making a Brazil nut milk if you're low in the selenium that Josh mentioned earlier. Right. And these are really great ways too to deliver all those wonderful nutrients. So If we take Megan's approach and make these things delicious, you can also sneak or get a lot of these amazing nutrients in. Are there any nutrients that you just can't get enough from food alone? Yes, we definitely know that vitamin D is difficult to get what we need through food alone. Is it possible? Maybe for certain people eating a specific diet, we know that there's vitamin D in fish a little bit. We know that it's in liver, right? You know, many people have heard of the supplement called liver oil. 
Yeah. And vitamin D's in there, vitamin mushrooms, A's in there too. Mushrooms? Mushrooms have D2, which is a little less active in the body, but you can get a pretty large amount of vitamin D from certain mushrooms. And that's actually how a lot of indigenous people got their vitamin D throughout the winter when they weren't exposed to sunlight. B12 is a little bit difficult for vegans. So when we're eating a 100% plant diet, like a vegan would, or you know, no animal foods, Certain nutrients have less bioavailability and make it a lot more difficult. So B12 would be an example. Magnesium and zinc are in forms that are a lot less absorbable. Iron definitely is a big one that I see a lot. And, you know, some people can do it okay, but most people can't. There's some foods that are rich in nutrients, but those nutrients aren't readily available or easily digested and assimilated by the body until we do something to them. And this is something called anti-nutrients. For example, you'd find these in grains, which is why it's optimal to soak most grains before cooking them. You might find this in nuts and seeds where you might soak or sprout before using them. And that breaks down some of these anti-nutrients. You'd rinse off and rinse away and go down the drain, the soak water, to properly then use and prepare them. And I have posts prepared on proper preparation of nuts and seeds if you want to go that route. Also how to cook grains and beans for optimal nutrient absorption and digestibility. Another example is tomatoes. So when you reduce tomatoes or actually do anything to tomatoes, you're increasing the availability and digestibility of that lycopene, that phytonutrient that's critical for our health, specifically for men's prostate health. What's fascinating to me, Megan? Oh, so much is fascinating to you, Josh. (laughs) Megan, how do you usually start sentences when there's something interesting? The number of times a day Josh says to me, you know what's crazy? Or, you know what I read today? And I have to like gear up to give him full focus because I'm about to get a very complicated explanation of some wild thought that transmitted through the ethers into one of his curls and downloaded into his brain. And just an interesting side (laughs) note, I really like to discuss complex and deep things first thing in the morning. And Megan really likes to discuss these types of things right before we're going to sleep. The number of times he's pulling down the blinds, aka his sleep mask. And I say, you know what I've been thinking about? And what does Josh say? Didn't I just buy you a journal? The number of notebooks Josh has <laughs> bought me over the decade plus we've been together. Is that a sign? Are you trying to tell me something? Well, you know what, Megs? A lot of things align with us, but the circadian rhythm of our prefrontal cortex is something we're going to have to continue working on. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd alert. Well, anyway, back to what I think is fascinating is how a lot of cultures over the history of our existence has figured out ways to extract the most nutrition from the food without Mm -hmm. knowing anything about nutritional science. Mm -hmm. That's how we got sourdough. And, you know, fermented cabbage, I don't know if you know this or if we've mentioned it, but they started putting it on ships when they were sending these sailors getting Mm. scurvy because fermented cabbage is basically already rotten. So it has, um, you know, properly stored an indefinite shelf life. And that fermenting of the cabbage frees up that vitamin C to make it more available. And that helps prevent scurvy on the explorer's boats. Amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about how to actually reduce the risk of deficiencies. Good idea. And before we dive into one spectrum of that, I want to start at the other spectrum, which is how to really incur a super awesome deficiency. Now, we were just discussing, I think a couple days ago, Megan and I, I said to her, you remember the concept of empty calories? 
You did say that to me as we were eating something really, really good. We were eating a Living Libations chocolate bar that Mm. is not the whole thing. We eat it over the span of a month, basically (laughs) slicing off thin little pieces. But this chocolate, if you haven't tried it, is unbelievable. It's a food. It's a whole bean ground. I think there's hemp in it. There's chia in it. There's essential oils in it. We still have not. It's like that is our caramel secret because we want to figure out how this gem is made. But you said... Like, and that's our treat. And there's still so much power in it. And that was when you'd asked me about empty calories. Yeah. And it's one of the earliest concepts I remember learning when I started studying nutrition that there's things that people eat. There's things that I was eating that had no nutritional benefit. They were just to fill me. They were just to taste good. They were just to, you know, give me that fix. And it wasn't just they had no nutritional benefit. They were nutrient deficient. They were removing beneficial things from the body. Right. They had the calories, the energy, but they didn't have the essential nutrients that we were talking about, like white flour, you know, what they call polished flour, sugar, Mm -hmm. um, white oils, white salt, right? White oils being like vegetable oil. Right. These things are just devoid of all their nutrition and people load up on them. So we have a problem of overconsumption, but undernourishment. And that's where we run into problems like cardiovascular disease and obesity and diabetes and all these what we call metabolic illnesses. But it also runs into a lot of degenerative diseases and specific diagnoses like cancer. You know, So we were talking about single nutrient deficiencies, but what happens when you have multiple nutrient deficiencies? They become more complex, they're harder to pin down, and we have to understand that many systems are affected at the same time. So I come out of my rant. And how do we reduce the risk of deficiencies? Well, the first part and the foundation to all this is really to have good soil. Right. Have good farmers and to know your farmers and to get good food from them or grow it yourself. Yes, I was gonna say, or to become your own farmer if you have the opportunity with a little plot of land. And by little plot of land, I mean really little. You can grow a lot of food in very small spaces. And then the next step, which most of you listening, if not all of you, have the luxury to do is choose your food yes. and to choose what ends up on your plate. And that's where Megan shines. <laughs> she shines in how to combine these things and how to make them taste good so that it becomes a sustainable, enjoyable experience that we not only do for ourselves, but do for our family, our friends, and we do it, most importantly, over the long term. I just want to clarify something doesn't just taste good. It's amazing. The stuff tastes amazing. And once you start eating this way, you can taste the richness in every bite. You feel good eating it. There's an energy in our food. And when you're preparing food at home from scratch, there's a liveliness to it that you cannot get in a frozen dinner, in a boxed cracker. It just isn't there. So I just had to clarify that one. Right. And some people, they sort of have to do a taste bud detox, right? When you're eating a lot of those processed foods and those empty calories, your taste buds forget what flavor is. Yeah. One of the books that's a required reading for the Academy of Culinary Nutrition program is Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss, I want to say is the name. And in that book, they talk about these studies they do to desensitize. And, you know, we talked about sugar in the last episode to figure out how much, like what's the max threshold so that people eat and eat and eat and keep eating and without passing a threshold where you start to feel gross or sick from it. They do the same thing with processed fats, all these things. So when Josh was talking about these empty calories, what we're dealing with in the standard diet is an abundance 
abundance of these empty calories and a complete lack of nutrition. As Michael Pollan described it, it's being overfed and undernourished. We're getting more than enough food, but completely lacking in the keys, those key nutrients we need to run the ship, to keep our body operating optimally. One of our favorite ways to address this is with the culinary nutrition superpowers. And this is where you can, in addition to just cooking from scratch as often as you're able, you start slipping things in, sneaking things in to add a little more potency of nutrient power in every bite. And that is where the pure joy and creativity comes in when it comes to culinary nutrition. I recently made what we call chocolate muffins to our son that had loads of zucchini in them. And normally I probably would have just put a little bit of cacao, but we didn't have any. So we used your elixir blend, which is a combo of cacao. There's some goji. There's a whole bunch of medicinal mushroom extracts. There's some adaptogenic or stress herbs in them. And I think there was maybe a couple tablespoons of of a sweetener of a maple syrup in the whole batch. So I snuck in all these nutritional herbs and plain old zucchini into these muffins. And Finley looked at it and he was like, what is this? I was like, it's green chocolate because he saw a little bit of the peel. Never forgive us. When I make a hummus, now a hummus, this is like a secret nutritional trick anyone can do. Write this down. You have two cups of chickpeas two cups of cooked chickpeas or one can if you're using canned. Then you'll put in a quarter cup each of water, tahini, and olive oil or flax oil. You'll put in about a half to one teaspoon of salt, two tablespoons of lemon juice, and then you add in your superpowers. You can put in artichokes. You can put in steamed squash, steamed sweet potato. You could add in some walnuts. This is where you can sneak in that extra nutrition or the foods that people in your family are averse to eating on their own. Herby sauces. Oh, I love these. I feel like herby yeah. sauces could be like the a kids. Like a brand? I don't know. It's something. Oh, or it's a, something. a kid's band? Could be a kid's band. (laughs) But what we love, because I grow a lot of herbs, and even if you just have a balcony or even just a a window that is south-facing that gets some sunlight, grow some fresh herbs. And what we do with these to get them in is I take them all and I blend them together with some olive oil, some lemon juice, a bit of salt, a little bit of garlic, and we make these herb sauces that you can put on anything. It's you know similar to a chimichurri, and I have a recipe for you for that. There's a link if you go to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcasts and choose this episode, you'll find a few links to some of these recipe ideas. Another thing I do to get the herbs in, and we talked about smoothies earlier, is I'll take cilantro and parsley, blend those together with a little bit of water, freeze them in an ice cube tray, and then I can pop those out and add them to my smoothies because I think we're all guilty of letting our herbs go rotten. We buy these big bunches don't clean them, and then we don't use them enough. So these are great ways to sneak in those herbs. And those herbs are some of the most nutrient-powered, concentrated foods per bite. Per calorie, if you want to talk calories, they have a tremendous amount of nutrient density. Cauliflower. Now, this is like a secret, secret weapon because it doesn't change the color of what you're eating, especially if you're dealing with selective eaters. It can be really mild in taste when combined in certain ways. So you can put a little bit of raw or steamed cauliflower into smoothies. You can blend it if you're doing a cashew-type sauce, or even if you're using a cheese sauce, blend in some steamed cauliflower. 
Veggie burgers or regular burgers are another way to throw in some mushrooms, some different vegetables. You can even do freeze-dried organ meats in them. So if people don't like organ meats, which are, you know, if you're eating animal-based foods, uh, you want to try and eat the whole thing, all the parts. So you want to get used to those organ meats. So that's a great way to slip them in. This last recipe I'm going to share with you, this is also on the Culinary Nutrition blog. This is a game changer, a hemp chocolate spread. You use a quarter cup of hemp seeds, which are rich in those essential fats. Josh talked earlier about essential and what that means. A third of a cup of raw cacao, or you could do Josh's elixir blend. A quarter cup of ghee or coconut oil. Two tablespoons of honey or your favorite sweetener or Skip it all together if you're using this with fruit and a little pinch of salt. And you'll put this in the food processor or your blender. And depending on what machine you have, you may need to double this recipe to have enough volume to make it smooth. But you blend that together and you can put this on anything. It is decadent, delicious, nutritious, nutrient-dense. This is one of those nutritional converters that People are like, oh, I don't want to eat healthy food. I don't like that, uh, which is ridiculous in and of itself, but this will get people on board. So those are just a few culinary nutrition creative ways to get some of those superpowers into the diet to reduce deficiencies and more so create a little bit more abundance in our life. Well, what I always say is I definitely marry the right woman because there's <laughs> always something delicious and interesting happening on my plate. But, you know, in summary of what we discussed today is that we have to think about food, not just as fuel as calories, but also containing these other elements that help us to burn and utilize those calories properly and to run all of our little factories in the body. We just have a bunch of different factories that need these workers and these workers come in the name of essential nutrients. If we look at that spectrum I described earlier, when we start to stray from what our body needs and not get enough of what it needs, we start to get these little messages, the language of the body, the symptoms telling us, hey, you need a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. You get some cracks in the corner of the mouth. You get some white spots on the nails. You don't feel energy. You're not recovering properly. These are messages and we need to listen to them to fine tune the body and get that vehicle back running and go from a state of dysfunction to a state of optimal function. We talked a lot in this episode about nutritional deficiencies. Just before we wrap up, we also have to consider the lifestyle deficiencies that are also critical for physical and mental health. Things like getting outside, exercise, fresh air, sunlight, sunlight in your eyes. Like don't stare up at the sun at noon, but in the mornings, later in the day, try and be out without sunglasses on. If it's comfortable, you can build up your tolerance to it as well. Social interactions, hugging, all of this is vital for living in a state of abundant health because health is not passive. It cannot be achieved passively. Staying at home, sitting around, taking shortcuts when it comes to health and fulfillment. So are you ready? Are you ready to, to chase abundance and have that optimal health in your life? There's a little something each of us can do every day to start putting those deposits in that health account. Thank you so much for joining us. And we have loads of resources and links to help you keep the nutrition abundant in your life. Please head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast and click on this episode to access all of the additional information. 
If you love this kind of information, wanting to learn how you can supercharge the health of yourself, your family, or perhaps even launch a business, check out the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. It's the only program of its kind that covers nutrition in this way. Registration for our September program opens soon and space is limited. Learn more at culinarynutrition.com forward slash program or join one of my monthly program information sessions to learn more. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time. Have a great day.